service, the first rhythm of 2020. We're one service. We're excited you're here. Uh, as always, Life Community, we're a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. And we have values that we strive for in that identity. We strive to practice love with everyone always, to give more than what makes sense, to chase after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives, and ultimately to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's word. That's who we are. If you want to know more about us, you can see me after service, stop by your information desk, or even go to our website for our statement of faith. And you came in, you got a bulletin. On that bulletin is a little connection card. If you're new here, love to get to know you. You can fill that out, put it in the offering boxes right outside the double doors, or take that into the information desk. Again, if you're a regular attender here, just a great way to keep communicating with us, asking questions, putting prayer requests or needs uh, for your family. We'd love to try to care for our family. So a, a few things that I want to go over in announcements on the back. The first thing is SEND. Our wing of mission here called SEND is having a couple meetings coming up in the next few weeks. Today is one. We have a meeting on a medical mission to Haiti, and then we have a uh, a team that is going to Puerto Rico, and the details for those meetings are in your bulletin. If you're interested in those things, you can A, sign up at the information desk and attend those meetings. The second thing is midweek, which is our Wednesday group rhythm here at Life Community. Uh, our Wednesday night groups are a little different than our Sunday morning groups. Sunday is focused on biblical literacy. Our Wednesday groups are focused more on topical lessons that we pull out of the Bible. And so there is a roster of classes back under our chase value on the table. Just know you can go out there and see the offerings that we have here and sign up for those classes. And then lastly, we're here. One service, uh, and it's been uh, more than what we could ever have hoped for. I, when we stopped, uh, started thinking about this, my prayer was that we would have um, just a foundation of 75 people who devoted themselves to be in community and groups. Uh, when we got done with sign up today, we had 140 people who are amongst our groups. And so that's something to be excited about, <clears throat> building a new rhythm here. Uh, and what I'm excited about is just, uh, I love the time between the groups and the service today and just watching you guys get to know new people. I was talking to one of our staff members and she said, what I'm excited about is the community that's being formed, that when you come here, you'll be known and you'll be missed. So uh, you just can't blend in. If you get a part of a group, people are going to miss you and they may call you. They may not stalk you, but they may see how things are going, and that's what we're excited here. Uh, just a couple other things that I want to make known to you guys. So we had, at the end of December, we had a match. We had somebody generously do donate $10,000 in a matching uh, form that we could match up to $10,000. I think I'm saying that right. You guys donated uh, one-time gifts $24,000 to match the $10,000. Which means that we get to put $34,000 away into our capital campaign that's going to be coming here soon. So that's cool. Uh, it's great to see lots of new faces around here. We just want to welcome you, part of this community. We are thankful that you're here. And so let's head into this week's message. But before we do that, let's just take a moment here and pray. I'll give you like five seconds to just pray silently amongst yourselves, and then I'm going to pray for our service. So let's do that. Father, we just come before you today. Uh, we are walking into new territory, into a new book today. And we want to boldly walk into this book uh, to discover who you are, that we would know more about ourselves, uh, that we would know more importantly the might and the worth and the power that is you. And so be with our time today. Be with this service. And we pray this in Jesus' name. 
And so we're going to begin this challenge of walking through the book of Job, this beautiful piece of literature, this challenging book over the next three months. We're going to spend 12 weeks in the book of Job. Culture reveres Job as this masterpiece of literature. It resonates to Christians and non-Christians alike. And so we're going to take on the task of walking through this book. There is no doubt that this is one of the more difficult books in all of Scripture to study. It's difficult to completely understand it. Job leaves us in a place with more questions than probably answers. Uh, Lots of people think that they understand Job in context fully. Uh, We all bring lots of assumptions sometimes into the book of Job. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're like, I have no idea, Steve. But we bring assumptions in the book of Job that we're going to look in the book of Job and we're going to get the comprehensive answer on why people suffer, on why bad things happen to good people. And so if you're thinking that you're going to find a solid answer on why people struggle, just know that your expectation will probably be unmet. Some people look at the book of Job and see Job as this hero of perseverance, that he persevered and God rewarded him. And if you think Job is a hero of faith, that if you would copy the models and the morals of Job and that ultimately God would reward you for those things, then you will find this book to be challenging as well as you read through its pages. There's lots of assumptions about the book of Job. What I think would be best for us is just to lay them down to humble ourselves and approach this book with fresh eyes and see where God stirs us. There are lots of good reasons why to read the book of Job. Uh, If you wanted to make a blog post, you could put 700 reasons why reading the book of Job is important. Today, we're just going to talk about five. There are five reasons that I think reading this book will be for our benefit. The first one is this, is Job allows us to see God for who God is. We get to see God for who he is. Above all else, this book will force you to think deeply about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It won't allow you to push God into oversimplification. It won't allow you to push God into cliche or allegory. It puts us face to face with the wonder and the majesty of God. And it should create a wrestling and a stirring in our hearts that we pray that would take our faith, our obedience, and our love and multiply it greatly in our struggle with God's word. The the second is that we get to sit in God's complexity. Sometimes we want to make God simple, but the book of Job sits us squarely in the complexity of God. Job will press us to carefully and thoughtfully and deeply think about how the universe is run and how God governs it. We all could be faulted to say, or are without fault, that we've created, or not without fault, that we've created systems of understanding God, and those understandings often lead to misunderstandings more than they lead to comprehension. God's complexity in Job should call us to challenge our viewpoints. Job sets before us a universe in which God is completely sufficient and sovereign, and yet in which he governs the world partly through his allowance of evil powers. And that is something that is very complex for you and I to understand. The third reason why we're going to study the book of Job is it finds wisdom for right belief. We'll find wisdom for right belief. This book is the antidote to the prosperity gospel, to the therapeutic gospel, 
Uh, or maybe you've heard it say moral uh, theistic deism. Maybe you've never heard that before. You're probably saying, I've never heard that before. Uh, both are rampant in the church today. The prosperity gospel teaches us that it is God's purpose that you have plenty of money, a house, a family, and health. That it is his purpose. That's the prosperity gospel. And what is the case for most of us in Western culture? We have that in spades. And so the prosperity gospel transforms into the therapeutic gospel that adds that it's God's purpose that your life is fulfilling and happy. Both of which are false. Both of which are destructive. And Job is going to show us exactly why those things are destructive. The third, and I should say fourth reason that we're going to study the book of Job is it moves us towards empathy and hope in Job's suffering. By immersing ourselves in suffering, Job shows us how to be more feeling to some of the things that Christ went through that the gospel doesn't always communicate. And not only that, but it helps us feel the depths of suffering of Christ's people. But this book of Job is also full of great hope and comfort for the message rests in the end, on the comprehensive authority of God over all of creation, and specifically how his dominion encompasses all things, including evil. And to understand the majesty and the logic behind redemptive suffering that we see in hope or in Job will give us the hope that we need to suffer as believers. And the way that Job is written, it's written mostly in poetic form, will press us on us in a way that should cause a growing um, sensitivity to the stories and the people around us in our own life. And the last reason why we're going to study the book of Job is that we would encounter the living God. That as we grapple with scripture, we can be assured that God will grapple with us. And so those are five good reasons why we're going to be going through the book of Job. Um, so our task today is to do a really good overview, to talk about those basic questions, the who, what, when, where, whys of the book of Job. And then to end our time, we're going to walk into three themes that we see woven through the book of Job that will be helpful for us to grasp as we study. Now, granted, as we walk into an overview, we're not going to walk into a lot of scripture today. That's not our normal rhythm here. Today has us setting up background and context that was going to be for our benefit in this study. And so as many other books, Job is named after the primary character in the story. Job is named just like Isaiah, just like Jeremiah, Ezekiel. It is named after the primary character in the story. Job's name comes from a Hebrew word that means persecution. Job literally is translated into the persecuted one. And what is interesting about Job is he's not an Israelite. He's not an Israelite. He's not a part of God's chosen people that he will be using to get us to Jesus to save the world. He's a Gentile like you and I. And I say that for you to understand that you will not find in the book of Job any reference to the law, priesthood, sacrifice, or the temple. You'll find them in every other Old Testament book but Job. Job, Job is not an Israelite. There is a debate on who the author of this book is. Some people say it's Job. Some people say it's Moses. And the reason why they say it's Moses is, is Job, as we will learn, lived in the land of Uz. Uz. I like that word, Uz. And that is right next to the land of Midian, 
where Moses lived for 40 years. And what they would say is that Moses probably obtained the context of the story and wrote it in his time there. Others say that it's Solomon, because Solomon has authorship in the other two wisdom books, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. They would say that Solomon wrote about these events in Job, the person who lived long before Solomon existed, through inspiration, in the same manner that Moses wrote about Adam and Eve in the creation story through inspiration in the book of Genesis. <clears throat> There's lots of co compelling evidence that this could be Solomon, mostly because his authorship of the other two wisdom books. But listen, we don't know, and really, for our knowledge, it's not that helpful to know who wrote this book. The other controversial question in the book of Job is, is this book literal? Is it real? Is there historicity? That's a word. You can look it up. Is there historicity, authenticity to this book? Some people would look at the form that it's written in, this poetic form, and say, this reads much like a parable. Jesus taught in parables, and we weren't in reading those stories to take the figures and the characters and the settings as actual. They were stories that told a good point. And so some would say, well, this is what Job feels like. It feels like a parable because of its imagery, because of its poetry. I believe this is literal. I believe that this is history, and I'm going to kind of show you uh, just a couple reasons why we can rest in that. The first one is we can look at the structure of Job, and we can find some commonalities within some other historical books in our Old Testament. Uh, the book of Job starts out in Job 1.1. It starts out this way. It says that there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Wouldn't that be just a great epitaph? At, at your funeral to say there was a man in the land of Bluffton whose name was Dwight, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. And so this is a structure that we find in the very first chapter, the very first verse of Job. But we go, if we go back to 1 Samuel, a history book in our Old Testament, read this with me. There was a certain man from the name from, of Ramatham Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jero Joham, son of Elihu, son of Toa, son of Zupa, the Ephraite. I think I did that right. I think I nailed it. I'm, ex I'm pumping myself inside right now because I got through that well. Notice the structure in that. That is the same Hebrew structure that was translated into the book of Job. And then we look in Judges, which is another historical book. It says that there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And so these are two Old Testament books that nobody doubts their historical context that have the same structure as the book of Job. And so for all intents and purposes, the most compelling evidence is that Job is an actual person, that it's a real story, that it's grounded in history. And maybe you think that doesn't, that doesn't matter. <clears throat> it doesn't matter whether it's just wisdom. It doesn't matter if it's real. There's just truth in it. Well, I, I just... I think of it this way. We are living in a critical climate where we are being critical of Scripture more so today than ever in both good and, and bad ways. When we start to doubt the authenticity and the historicity of stories in the Bible because we don't understand them and their imagery and they seem too far-fetched for us, we will find ourselves in a position where we begin to compromise multiple portions of Scripture 
to get to a place where we would say, well, all of the scripture is just allegory. And so there is compelling evidence that Job is real, not just in the literary structure, but the fact that there are other people in the Bible that talk about Job. In the book of the prophet Ezekiel, he talks about Job as a person in the 14th chapter. Jesus' brother James talks about Job by name in the 5th chapter. There's lots of good evidence to show us that Job is a literal person. Lots of good and right reasons. Now, the date of the book is unknown. We can't figure out the date of the book. I'm certainly not going to figure out the date of the book. The context in history is sort of unknown besides that this takes place in the land of Uz, which is in modern-day Saudi Arabia. The author seems to do this on purpose, that you won't get caught up in the historical context or the dating of this story, that you would just rather focus on the questions and the challenges that this book brings to us. And so the book of Job is a wisdom book, and it works in conjunction with the two other wisdom books in our Bible, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. Proverbs comes and says that there's order, that God is just and wise, and you get what you deserve. And then Ecclesiastes comes along and Solomon and all of his wisdom says, hey, not so much. You don't always get what you deserve. In fact, life is more complex than you could even imagine. And then we find the book of Job, who's this personal story that is re-examining this question, is God wise and just? And we're going to see it literally take place in this person named Job. Uh, there is a great resource called The Bible Project that talks a lot in an overview about the book of Job and the wisdom scriptures. Uh, some of what I just said there came from The Bible Project. I think it would be worth your studying in this book of Job to, to go and look at the resources that The Bible Project has in the area of the book of Job. The central verse in Job is Job 1.9. It's Job 1, and it asks a very profound question that is going to set the book up to deal with God's justice and wisdom. The book begins in the courts of heaven with Satan present in front of God asking a question. And this is what it says. This is the question. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? The enemy is saying to God, does Job fear, love, obey you? For no reason. Does he love you and obey you for your namesake? Or is it because you prosper and protect him? And if you took away all of those things, would he still fear, love, and obey you? It is as, as if somebody came to you and asked you the question, does your spouse, or your kids, or whoever you want to put in your equation there, love you for you? Or do they love you for the things that you provide for them? The way that you fill their needs. And if you took those things away, what would happen? That is the question that we find right in the beginning of Job that sets up this book and all the events and all the context that we'll see in the book of Job. Now there are three themes that we want to walk through that are woven throughout the book of Job that are important for us to grasp in our study. Three themes, and I'll start with the first one. The first theme that we find in the book of Job is that things are not always as simple as we want to make them. What resonates in the book of Job is a flawed belief, flawed belief amongst humanity 
that things should operate in a way in which we all should just understand. We will meet Job's friends who will say that they have answers for the reason that Job is suffering, and all of his friends' wisdom will fall short of answering why Job is in his predicament. But this is the nature of humanity. We want to find home for things. We want to lump things into our understanding. We want to find places. We want things to be either good or bad or right or wrong or true or false. We want things to be simple so we can understand them. But we're always left bewildered and flustered by the complexity of life. I think back to the middle 1940s, 50s, and 60s. We had a growing population, baby booming. Maybe you're a baby boomer and you're just population growing. And we had a deficiency in energy, major problem. And so people got together to find a simple solution, to find enough energy to meet the demands of the population. And they decided they're going to put concrete in the middle of rivers. They're going to build these large dams that are going to harvest hydroelectric power. And it was good. It did what it was supposed to be. It created lots of good energy. It created lots of good recreational areas that we still enjoy today. It, it, it created lots of means for irrigations to farmers who didn't have them. But we are just learning today the complexity of ecosystems. That in dividing rivers in two, that we actually are destroying things. That we are devastating environment, that we are reducing fish, po fish population, and that we are having economic consequences as well. And so what seems simple and smart to us in the moment, today we go, ah, it's more complex than we could ever imagine. When I lived in this house on William Street over here, like I'm pointing like you know where I lived, we, we were going to renovate an upstairs room into a bathroom. And I told my friends I'm going to take Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'm going to get this bathroom knocked out. Uh, in my head, half a day for deconstruction, half a day for prep, one day for installation, one day for finishing. Seven months later, I finished. <laughs> right? And then we moved. Not as simple as I thought it was going to be. Right? We do this as Christians. We like to take things that are hard in people's life emotional things, complex things in people's lives, and we try to oversimplify God and oversimplify God's word, and we say things to one another like, well, everything has a reason. Let go and let God. God helps those who help themselves. God will never give you more than what you could handle. We like to take complex things, and we like to simplify them because we want answers. And look, we're all guilty of doing it. We're all guilty of oversimplifying things. But what it affords us is the ability to keep a distance from people and not risk vulnerability, not risk the chance that I might have to get messy and live life with that person in their complexity. We have a tendency to oversimplify things, but things are not as simple as we want to make them. And the book of Job will show us that life and justice, and injustice, and wisdom, and God are far more complex than we want to admit that they are. And there is a humbling that happens when one accepts that. The second theme that we'll find that is related but different is that there's not an answer for everything. 
There is a reality in which situations and events in our lives that we don't have clear understanding or answers for are the ones that we avoid the most and fear. And we certainly could bring our conversation last week about death and hope into this equation. When we are unsettled in the answer to that question, it leaves us in fear and we avoid. And so in our effort to be at ease, we want answers for everything. And if we don't, we avoid them. In our human wisdom, we believe that if we put our brains or a group of brains around any problem or solution or question, that with enough determination that we're going to find a plausible answer, reasoning for that situation. The problem with that is we're just so limited. We're just so limited as humanity. We're limited to our culture. We're limited to our environments. We're limited to our upbringing and the culture that we live in, we lack so much co context and wisdom to be able to answer every one of life's questions, specifically when it comes to God. We are finite people who live in, in finite terms. We have a certain amount of years, but God is infinite. He's always existed, and he will always exist. There should be a humbling of ourselves to say, I don't think that I can answer every question. God is just way bigger than I could ever imagine. Job is going to put us face to face with hard realities that will ring true in all of our lives. And what we will find is that answers are often left, or questions are always left, often left on the unknown. The third theme is that suffering is not necessarily about us. And we're going to dig deeper into this as we progress through the book of Job. By far, we want to personalize everything in my life. We want to personalize everything in our lives. We seem to think the things around us happen because the people and this world have their eyes on us and they're somehow interacting with us. From the person that was rude to us in the store or the restaurant to the guy that cut us off, we make everything about ourselves. But what we find true in most every situation is that there's always more to the story. And the more that we learn that story, we realize that almost all the time, it was never even about us. The same truth will be found in suffering. There are cosmic details that are unknown to us that really don't have us in mind at all, but greater things that are beyond us. And Job will clue us into that reality. And so here's how we want to approach these next 12 weeks. As we walk in next week into Job 1, 2, 1 through 2, 13, here's what I invite you into. I invite you to check in. To check in. You have so many things that are competing for your time. So many things that are compelling their importance in your life. Maybe today you make a decision to be serious about your relationship with God, to make a decision to drown out all the noise that is in your life and give your priority to your relationship with God, that you would check in in your time here on Sundays, in your group time if you're in part of the group. But not only that, that you would check in to dig into this book, that it wouldn't be just about coming and listening and hearing, but it would be about digging and praying for God's wisdom in this beautiful book. And so we invite you to check in. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles out 
the ears. You can have a Bible. It's yours to take home. They're on the racks back there. Just know, just take it. The second thing that I ask you is let's humble ourselves. Look, there's lots of things that we don't know. Speaking for myself, I tend to believe I know more than I do. That's why I thought I could do a bathroom in three days, right? We just have that sort of belief. We can Google anything. Let us approach this text with new eyes and humble hearts and be expectant that God is going to reveal better things to us. And the things that God reveals to us might not always be how we want them, but they're always how God needs them. So let's humble ourselves. The third thing I would just say, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Don't just Google it, right? It's easy just to just Google it, find an understanding on the internet, which is crazy at times, or go to a, a person or a resource that you trust. Ask questions. There are lots of really good wisdom in this room. I would say if you're going to Google, Google multiple different positions and understanding on this position, on, on, on your questions. And the last thing I just say is, is let's, let's do this together. The reason that we move to one service is because we're a family. And I'm excited about what the future brings for us. And so let's do this together. And I would just say this, look, you don't have to be in a group to be welcomed here. But know that you're welcome to sign up for a group anytime that you want to. That we can walk through processing Job together. To work out the complexity, to work out life together to be known, to be heard. Let's do this together, not as individuals. And so I'm excited about our book, of the Job, the book of Job that we're going to head to. Um, join us as we start in Job 1 through 2 next week. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come before you today, and uh, we thank you for who you are. Uh, we thank you that you... Uh, will not allow the enemy to distract us. We thank you for handheld microphones. Um, God, you're good to us. God, what a great day. Thank you for who you are, and thank you for the way that you speak into our lives. God, help us to draw closer to one another. Help us to draw closer to you in our wisdom, in our obedience, in our affection, as we dig into your beautiful and edifying word. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your amazing name.